right, guys. Welcome to Scrubland. This week, we have just Casby and D-Sale and me. Uh, we're going to be talking about Grand Prix Dallas. We're going to be talking about the upcoming uh, Nationals qualifiers, used to be regionals. Uh, interesting decks from Dallas, uh, what to take away from the event, and uh, interesting events of the weekend, such as the Habanero bet, which is pretty funny. So let's start off with uh, with the decks that... The only two decks that top aided. Uh, first off, there's uh, Blue White Cargo that took it down. David Shields, congratulations. Uh, so I think it's okay. Um, I think it's interesting that <clears throat> I don't. I don't remember in recent years there being so many different incarnations of control. Right. Like there's like, you know, I mean, I started like in Shadowmore Block, like the end of Shadowmore Block, and like I, you know, start. That's when I started to kick. Kind of keep start keeping track of stuff, and then um, basically it seemed like in Alara Block there was like cruel control, right? But well, not was... Alara Block, but like after Alara came out, like cruel control was like it was reflecting bull control, right? And yeah. there was just there were various incarnations of that, but it was still a a Gri- like Grixis base like of you want to cast cruel control, cruel ultimatum on turn seven basically, mm-hmm. and like. Whatever land package you use and whatever support cards you use, you know, there are five color iterations, three color iteration, four color, whatever. Right. But it was all basically you want to cast Cruel Ultimatum. Um, there was fairies, and that was it for that time, right? Right. That was just there the wasn't two too decks. many little, you know, there were interesting little tweaks on both of those archetypes, but right. it was basically those were the archetypes. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from there we went into, I guess, the next standard block, which Blue Eye Control kind of rocked for a while with its mm-hmm. Marshall Coups and Oblivion Rings and whatnot. Um, but that was like the control deck at that time. Blue Eye Tap Out was it. And but, then, I mean, that's just because Jund was such a house that it took. It was supposed to be facing control decks at the time. Like it, it was. It just wrecked anything that was trying to play control except for Blue Eye Tap Out. Right. So, but like now we're in a, a, a meta game where we have Black Blue Control, which is a house. We have. Rug. Various Cobblade builds of various colors, but still Cobblade as the main archetype. There's Rug, and then there's traditional Blue Eye Control. What are you talking about? What do you mean, what am I talking Rug about? Rug is not a control deck. It's absolutely a it tempo control deck. How is it? It's just monsters. It's a, um, it's a tempo you're gonna, control You're going to tell me a deck with a Mana Leak is now a control deck? It's no, the no, only no, no, card no. that no, 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 even no. says control in any way. Oh, I'm sorry, lightning bolt's a control card. You're All right. right. I, I didn't. I, I thought the same way that you did. Okay. Until I played against Kenny Mayer this weekend. Um, we I, we played at uh, Invitational Qualifiers this weekend, and me and him sat down. I was playing traditional blue eye control. He was playing rogue control. Ne- like neither of us made a play until like turn seven. Right. It was just land go, land go, land go, and then it was just like. Based on, like, Rug has that, that way that they can, depending on their draw, they're like, okay, I'm either going to go shit my hand out, smash him in the face, or I'm going to sit back on my control cards until I get enough to cast one of my monsters and protect it. So What control card? They have Mana Leak. They have Jaces? They're a tempo. Okay, every they deck have, has Jace. Every blue deck has Jaces. You can't call every blue deck a control deck. Well, I'm not calling every, <laughs> every blue deck a control deck. All right. It's absolutely a tempo control deck. I mean, it's it's not as controlling as its uh, first iteration that I mean, Bertoncini's been playing, Just, like originated, he pioneered back in the, like six months ago, maybe a little longer. This looks like almost the exact same deck that he was playing six months ago. No, it it's uh, at the time it was uh, 
more it was more controlling because you had more counter spells, you had more things you were doing that were control oriented. You were just basically outmanning your opponents so that you could resolve your mana leaks and just I mean mana is always the most important thing in a control matchup. Like just lands. So now it's it's definitely got uh a more mid rangey feel to it because you are just resolving big dudes, and that's a really good way to beat uh, most decks, like aggro decks, is you just overload them with shit that they can't beat through. But okay. they also beat control because they're, 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 it's basically resolve a threat, protect it, resolve a threat, protect it, or resolve a threat, make sure it gets through. Or resolve a Jace. <laughs> or resolve a Jace. And your opponent can't keep up. Which is it may as well be a threat in that deck. The only way I've ever seen a rug deck play is resolve a threat, make you deal with it. Play another threat. Deal with it. You're not act- like they're not protecting anything. If you kill it, they just play another one. That's not control. That's more monsters. Um, there are various builds of it. Don't shrug. That's, a- that's exactly what it is. No, I mean the the. the- I can't protect it with a lightning bolt. <laughs> like, have, show have, me a spell in here. Oh, about, I'm sorry. They have a one of deprive and four flash freezes. Okay, and that all seems and and they they can board out their lotus covers for pyroclasms. That all seems like a control element to me. I don't know. I've I've played the deck a few times against fairly good players. I've played against Kenny Marin. I played against Josh Adams, and both times they tried to out control me, which didn't work. Didn't work. Imagine that because they're not a control deck. Well, I, I'm, <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm just saying that whether or not it, it can beat another control deck that's more control right. doesn't mean it's still not trying to balance okay. on one of the and one of its axes as being a control deck. Yeah, I think I think that you're assuming everything is trying to be a control deck right now. Because you're living in it right now. You, like, you went through the history of like all things that used to be control. There were lots of decks at every time in Magic that try to be another control deck. They try to do something else. And a lot of times, the best deck, like, it, like in two years from now, when you look back at this time, they're like, oh yeah, you remember that, that Grand Prix where it was just 32 Jaces in the top eight and, uh, Cobblade was everywhere? Like, if you look at the, at the metagame breakdown, it's blue white control, blue white like control. Which is what it's called is like five, and Squadron Hawk control is a million. Yeah, and you're like, oh, it's like a hundred to five. I wonder what's the actual control deck here. Right, and you see how many of the blue white tap out control decks did well. It's exactly like Revel Arc was a control deck. It was absolutely doing control things. It was wrathing. It was playing mole drifters. It had mana leaks. It was doing the exact same thing, but it was never as good as fairies. It couldn't beat fairies, so you don't right. think about it. That's true. Uh, no, you're right. You're right. No, I mean, I, yeah. I forgot about that. And there's, I mean, there's other control decks right now too that aren't playing Jace. There's Mono White Control, um, which is kind of a weird deck. But which, yeah. and like they all fall by the wayside. I, I think we should just jump right in here and talk about the fact that 32 Jaces top aided this event. Well, really quickly, I want to ask: Is this? Are we at the perfect build of Rug? There's only one slot that they played with out of the four decks that yeah. were rug, and the the four slots were Burton Cheney played an extra Avenger of Zendikar, uh, Orrin Beasley played a Garrick the Wildspeaker, uh, Gar- yeah, it was Garrick Wildspeaker, correct? Yeah, Michael Jacob had a twisted image, and, which was re- re- really cool. And uh, what was the fourth one? Another Precursor Golem, maybe? I think it was a Precursor Golem, and then like somebody had an extra Forest or something stupid, maybe. but it. No, well, I mean, that was the only... Well, we already enlisted four. It doesn't so. matter. The fact is that these guys all played almost the exact same deck. Yeah, right. Yeah, maybe they maybe they have the best deck, but they had the best deck for a weekend. This deck isn't unbeatable. I per, I played a deck this weekend that had an amazing matchup against Rug. Yeah, that was insane. It it I kind of felt like I couldn't lose to that deck. Right. Um. So, I don't know. I mean... All right. They're, the, the metagame is... 
I just meant is that do we feel like we've hit the best iter- the like the sure. best iteration of rug? Sure. Yes. We finally, finally, just tuned the deck to perfection. Sure. Yes. Well, but it's not actually game. it's not actually the best deck. But is it the best version of that deck? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Maybe. I think it's. I think so I guess another question is something that a lot of people have been talking about is whether or not Cobbler is actually a control deck. Who it's cares? Fish. We it's call fish. it's a fish deck. It's okay. just fish. Who cares? Who cares about the archetype names? I mean, it, like the deck I mean, is the well, deck. It's not the archetype <laughs> names. It's the way you play the deck. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I've seen, I watched a lot of Squad Hawk decks get played this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I posted two, I guess I should just go ahead and let you guys know how I did. Yeah. Uh, I played a Guillaume Wafatapa's Blue Black Update Control list that is, uh, basically moving, uh, two Precursor Golems into the main deck and a Volition Reigns into the main deck. Talked to the man right before the event started and said, Guillaume, I took out the Spreading Seas because I don't understand how you're, how a blue black control deck is supposed to play a spreading seas right now. It just didn't seem that good to me. I played with it for a while and ended up taking it out. It seemed like the most useless card to me. Um, I'm not saying that spreading seas is bad in any way, but can you justify to me what it does? Well, the first thing Wafo Tapa does when he pulls up de- D-Sales deck list is he, he, he shifts through the whole deck and then he pulls back up to the front where he sees all these threats. He's got the already the package that he was playing plus the precursor golems and the volition reigns. And he just looks up like astounded and he goes, is too high on the curve. That's too many things. Yep. And you're like, uh, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I know. It's, it's I inc- respect your opinion. It's incredibly threat dense. Uh, I wasn't particularly embarrassed by the deck I showed him. I thought my deck was very good. Uh, what he told me about spreading seas was that it's good on your curve, and that it's equal on card parity. You get to draw an extra card, and that sometimes you just get to win the game. It complements your tectonic edges. So like. I didn't want to play my deck in such a way that, like, he was, he had a very specific game plan. He even had less threats than the guy that won the event, right. um, Martin Shannon or something like that. Yeah. Um, he even had less threats than that guy. Like, Guillaume is the control master. He's playing Jaces and Tar Pits to kill you. Right. That's it. I mean, that's just, like, Grape Titans, incidentally. I mean, like, incidentally, <laughs> like, yeah. so, like, sometimes you eventually need a clock. He'll just hold it in his hand forever. I've watched him do it. Right. Um, if you just ask him, if you ask him about it too, he'll be like, yeah, you just have to hope Grave Titan's enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so... It's like sometimes you're in a shitty position and you're like, well, Grave Titan might get there. I guess I'll play this one. Last last chance. I wanted to put it in really bad. Couldn't justify it. And after talking Talk to the about, man himself, I said, I said, it's not a good enough reason. In the in the end, I'm sorry, I, like, I didn't think that that was a good enough reason to do it. Anyway, uh, posted a X and 2 record on day one to get in. Um... Misplayed terribly against an Ulamog yeah. in the last round. I guess I'll, I'll elaborate that on a little bit more because of the Facebook page post. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, I'm X and one going into the last round. I'm feeling really good. I'm sitting at like the top tables most of the day, and uh, sit down. The guy, the guy goes, "Oh yeah, I, I didn't have any buys," and I was like, "Wow, yeah, it's like this seems bad." I'm like, you. "Oh well, like you're probably playing a pretty decent deck um, to be seven one in actual matches on the last day." Um, he, I, I'm like, my mind's kind of racing about like what this guy can actually be playing. Cause I'm like, he's local. He's posted something ridiculous. Like what? Like I have no idea what he is. I put, I put him on some kind of mountain style strategy, yeah. um, which I typically do pretty well against. He opens with a colony garden. Yeah. I was like, Oh, well, Polymorph, no I guess, sense. I guess you're doing some kind of acceleration strategy or something bizarre. Um, he ends up being Eldrazi green and, I, I end up making a couple misplays through the match. Uh, I had a tumble magnet in play. He had double overgrown battlements, and he was stopping on his upkeep. 
to like see if I wanted to do stuff and I just like did math wrong and like allowed him to resolve a primeval titan right. um that I could have stopped if I'd used the magnet counter and right. he would have done it anyway and I just, like I just had made a couple bad plays already in the matchup we get we maneuver into a position where he hard casts Ulamog and it like I, I read the card. I read the card when I saw it in his hand. When I duressed him, mm-hmm. read the card again when it came into play. Uh, Inquisitions in the main, not duress, correct? Thought about it for a little while and ended up going on a line of play that involved him like, all right, well, go for the throat in your ulamog and then do all this other stuff. Yeah. And like he picked up the card and it was like halfway to his graveyard and then he looked at it and he was like, Never well, mind. no, sir, no, <laughs> this is indestructible. Yeah. And. Like, we both kind of had that moment where we're like, oh. It's like, hey, check it out. That... This Ulamog says destroy I mean... a permanent and mind right your opponent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it was it was really a bad, like, like he's not uncounterable. I could have just, like, pick, made him pick it back up with Jace and, and gone on to win the game. Like, I just, like, punted, punted really hard against the guy. Right. Uh, round the, the third game, I also did some pretty awkward stuff. Uh, I just got summoning trapped when I didn't need to. Well, that's uh, a, it's in, like... Uh, it's basically been like mono green Eldrazi has always been kind of like the foil to the control decks, right? Like it's it's been something that's like like that was kind of its original appeal. And like when it was big, like that was that was why everyone played. It. We're like, guessing oh. that that guy just dodged Valakut all day. Yeah. It's it's them running the gamut of uh, really really hoping that they always have the summoning trap in their hand because if they don't have that the trap too. in their hand and they get one of their big threats countered, they can go five seven turns without drawing another threat, right? And just being done. Which is sort of embarrassing, right? Um, and and they they flat lose at that point. But like, but once they get to that point, it's like really hard for that to happen because they have Ivugans and like. Well, they, have, they have one of like it's it, it's not a bad deck by any means. It certainly does put up numbers, but it also has some matches where it's a real dog. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't know how that guy did in the end, but like I was a little depressed. We went out and and drowned it out with alcohol. Yep. Um, that was good. I came back the next day, uh, put up a record of three, two, and one, and ended up finishing in 60th place. I could go into so much more detail about it. Let's not. Uh, it's like, whatever. <laughs> I mean, the the point was... Some of the matches were just cut and dried. I just won because I had very good matchups. Other matches uh, were sort of blowouts the other way. I had this revelation on the way home that uh, I've, I've posted two really decent results in Constructed here in the last, like, two months. And uh, something something one of my friends said to me was, uh, I, I talked to him, I'm like, hey, I did really well at this event. I've never done good and constructed before. Every match I had, I felt like I knew exactly what I was doing, and I was playing really good magic. Uh, I felt like I was unbeatable in some situations. It was just a total blowout. And it wasn't even because my opponent was just better. It's like, I have a much better deck than you. He said, that's how constructed's supposed to be. Constructed mm-hmm. is supposed to feel like this is a total blowout and you never had a chance. Right. And I think I just never had that mindset before. And it might just be because I've audibled into too many bad decks before or decided to switch too early to something like just wee hours of the morning doing something crazy and like hamstringing myself into not playing the tournament as well as I could. And at at this event, I'm not going to lie, for every Grand Prix that I go to, I put like a hundred matches worth of games in with a deck that I want to play. Right. And uh, like when you when you work on a deck that hard. You've seen pretty much everything that can happen. I lost to Eldrazi Green because I never played it. Yeah. In 100 matches on Moto, I never played it. Right. I didn't think it was going to show up. Right. And uh, so, like, I was lost in the game, made a bad play, and ended up losing. Uh, you know, like, these things happen. But uh, I, I think that, like, 
picking your deck beforehand and knowing exactly what you're doing, it, it just gives you so much extra extra oomph right. in, a, in a day. And, yeah, I, uh, I, you've just been playing better Magic recently as well. Oh, every so. every single round, I would I would come up to Chris Burrows and be like, "You have no idea how incre- how incredibly like," and I'd be like, "Yeah, <laughs> I know because I watched." Just just like every single round, it'd be me coming up telling Chris Burrows how I did something insane to my opponent, and most of the time it wasn't something insane in the game. It would be something insane that I did. In, That's true. You in, were just in the meta of Magic. This guy has just been running real hilarious game on his opponents like just talking them out just feeling real confident and just basically talking them out every game which is which is uh next leveling in a lot of situations i'll, I'll give them in a, in a stressful situation like a gp okay i'll get i'll give you guys one Go for um it. without getting too in depth uh kept a hand that didn't look all that good but was acceptable it was like preordained doom blade mana league and like five lands or four lands and i'm like okay this is fine um, my preordain yields nothing. I flip, I ship to find another one. I'm like, wow, uh, my hand is now a doom blade to mana leak. I'm not real excited about where my hand is now. Right. Um, just lay all my cards face down on the table. And when I go to make my second land drop, I intentionally like flip, Showing flip up, leak. I intentionally flip up the mana leak and go like, like thinking that it was a land. Cause he's playing it off the table instead of and from his hand. Yeah, like I'm just like, just lay all your cards face down on the table, just flipped him up a mana leak and showed it to him. And I was like, oh crap, that's not like, like, that's not what I just, yeah, yeah, like I just played it like a creeping tar pit. And then he looked at it and he's like, that's like really? And I was yeah. like, oh crap. And then I like reshuffled, played my creeping tar pit, passed the turn. He didn't make another play for like five turns and let because me build, his, build an insane league. hand. And he's like, well, I don't want to get anything mana leaked. Right. So I, I just like bought an insane amount of turns by doing nothing. Right. And I don't know. It, it was just amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely – it was pretty intense. You had some, you had some really good plays. Also, you had some really good opponents too. You know, who did you play against? You played I, – I came over because I, I love Melissa DeTora. I came over the, to the stand to the pairings board, saw he was playing uh, Melissa, and I was like, "Whoa, feature match!" And I'm just like sprinting my ass over there. It was pretty funny, and I uh, ended up taking the. By the way, how good was Volition Reigns this weekend? So tell, I had tell me how good it was against Blue White Cobblade. So I had one Volition Reigns in my main deck, and I ended up going two two against Cobblade on the weekend. Uh, every game I won against them was a blowout situation because of Volition Reigns because no one expected me to have it in my main deck. So a lot Sometimes of times, so, I mean, so a lot of times they just got greedy and would create extra things on the board that I was able to steal, most likely Gideon. And when you take your opponent's Gideon, they either have to play a second one to kill it or all of their value creatures that have swords on them Lose their value. <laughs> hit your, yeah, lose their value when they're hitting your Gideon, and it creates a really terrible board situation for them. I haven't played a lot of the Kago Mirror. Um, I didn't really like the deck. I decided very early on I didn't want to play Squadron Hawks for the event, but Gideon was real good. Yeah, you know that Gideon's and really good in the Mirror. I, I would assume that he's pretty good in the Mirror match. He's like, well, it's good enough for them to play. Yeah. Well, fuck it, I'll take it. I mean, <laughs> he, was, I, like, he was probably my only out to this whole situation, so thanks for playing one. I'll, I'll go ahead and use it to win the game. Um, I don't know. I play. I played Melissa. She was nice. Um, I've played her before. What yeah. was she running? And she was running a uh, cobbler with a splash blade. of red. Okay, uh, she won. She won a grinder the night before, and um, I don't believe she made day two. But you know, 
them's the breaks. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta you gotta step over a couple people. It's real. It's really entertaining to to go down through the list and see like where people finished. Uh, like because I mean there there isn't enough coverage in the world to talk about every person and every storyline right. from a Grand Prix. But you can, you can definitely just go into final standings and look at people's points and and go down and be like, oh wow, I I did better than this person. I did better than this person. These people write for notable websites. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting to it, it's it, it's a bit of a boost to. To feel that way. Also, um, there were eleven people on my point total, uh, and three of them finished outside of the top sixty-four. Yeah. So that's really crushing. When like I've been in that exact same situation where the point total goes all the way down to outside of the money. And it was sixty-seventh this time. So some people got paid and some yeah. people didn't get paid you, you made for the 60th, same performance. Right? And yeah, I finished in sixtieth this time. And I, I'm going to go ahead and stress it again. Having buys at a Grand Prix is ridiculous. Insane, I have had three buys, and it every time I went to go look at standings, I was flo- I was floating total. around the point total top yeah. because your breakers are just much much better. Yeah. yeah, and that's what happened is that that kicked your breakers up that kept you in the money there. You gotta assume that the people who didn't make it didn't played them. some people. I'm not scrubbed out. Yeah. I'm not gonna tell you guys not to go to a Grand Prix if you don't have buys, but it's a lot. If you, for you if you plan to go to the Grand Prix and finish very very highly and make up make money especially once you get up into the top 16 and higher bracket just don't lose <laughs> no well once once you're in the top 16 and higher breakers are intense right. uh this the top eight was in the same situation where some people finished outside the top eight on point total and that's that's really tough i don't know if this i don't know if that was the case for brad nelson brad nelson was at 11th this weekend which is pretty interesting um Let's talk about other interesting decks on the weekend. Uh, one of my my favorite deck that I looked at uh, that was just really interesting was this guy. His name's Jonathan Job. He finished at 101st. He's playing a deck uh, we're just gonna call Big Red. Um, so I, I watched this guy at a feature match against Gavin Verhey in game in day one, and his first f- first four turns were turn one Valakit, turn two Chalice for one, turn three Pilgrim's Eye, turn four Pilgrim's Eye, and a Cargan Dragon Lord, and I just was like, "What is this guy doing? Like, <laughs> it looks really good. <laughs> like your Pilgrims and, and Gavin Barry is playing uh, Callblade, and he's blue white Callblade, and he's like, oh, turn two Stoneforge Mystic, turn three, uh, I'm repping Mana Leak, but I don't have it, and put the sword into play, and then the Pilgrims, I just made it look silly, <laughs> and it was kind of ridiculous, and uh, made it look silly. How it just blocks once, it, it blocks once, but it also turns on Galvblast. Galvanic Blast, which caught the uh, Stoneforge at four. I watched him, I mean, at some point get hit by the sword and then put the Kalitha Phoenix into the graveyard. Yep. That was interesting. Pretty awesome. I mean, as interesting as Main discarding something Phoenix. that you can bring back later is. You know, like, <laughs> I'll pitch a Vengevine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's essentially just pitching yeah. Vengevine with less value. But I mean, it's pretty mm. good value, though. Uh, it's all right. He's More got, value. It's, it's all right. I mean, how I, sick would Venvine be if he flew? I just gotta <laughs> say, I don't want to overhype these decks, guys. Both these, both these decks made day two and finished well outside the money. Well, that being so, said, how much testing could they have done with these? Like, you know, like they can do a lot. I, I, I don't know. Like, I just feel like with when you have decks that are like established archetypes, like you can build on the backs of like greatness already. Like, you can take what pros are writing in their articles, take what their little tweaks are. And you can kind of use that when you're starting fresh, like with a rogue deck. Like Connolly's wrote, you know, articles about it. It's just like it's 
It's literally like ten times yeah. the work because the, the you have nothing as a frame of reference. Yeah, the first time that you play it is is you know going to be one of the hardest times, but you do get better. But like, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess the first tournament you play it in is going to be the hardest tournament, and then you work on it from there. Right. Uh, one of the lists that I don't, I can't believe you didn't print this one up. The, I don't know if you didn't see it. It was the Agro Valicate list. Oh, uh, we don't need. I mean, well, we can talk about it. Absolutely, we need to talk about it. I can tell you everything about it, though. I've known yeah. about it for weeks. Yeah, please let me know. Is okay, it like so, a variation of the Spagnola one, with running Ness Invaders, and it's yeah. exactly what it is. Is it's got Viridian emissary, and it's got basically it's it's Valicate is your backup plan. You're just playing Viridian emissaries and dudes, just good solid dudes. Hero of Oxid Ridge, and yeah. the, this deck also played a uh, double Bestial Menace. Yeah, which. A lot of people were were they, they were upset. People people were upset when they end up losing to a bestial menace and <laughs> a one one a two two and a three three. Woo. Yeah, I mean it's. I guess it's really good with hero. Yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> it is. It's. I mean, it's it's just good value on a card. I'm, I'm glad to see that we went back to a list that like. I, I, when when Bloodbraid was out, there was a list of Valakut that did similar things. It was just like a bunch of dudes, and then Valakut is sort yeah. of your backup plan. And you're also still playing like. The same value creatures Valica does, but you're just not playing all the ramp. Yeah. Right? Well, the um the cool thing about Viridian Emissary is uh you just always get Mountain, and you just like a bunch of the things that you do uh just get you another Mountain. Yeah. Well, the list I've seen still plays Explorers, and they use um I've seen some that run Lotus Cobras, right? And I've seen some that run Viridian Emissaries. I haven't seen one that runs both, but they're both like they play like creature ramp. So yeah. it's like you use nest invaders and you use emissaries or lotus covers to like incidentally ramp you right. while you're still playing the aggro plan. Right. So it actually looks really bonkers. Like there was some at the the IQs today, this past weekend. There was some this red green like battle cry deck that like a couple of players were playing. Like Daniel Sampson was running it, and it was just like huh. weird. <laughs> it was just like nest invaders into like turn three like oxid ridges into cool. like it was like what is going on like. And then, you know, they were doing really well. It was just like... Uh, earlier when Daniel said these decks, uh, the other deck that we thought was really interesting was uh, Alex Muich, and he, he got a deck tech of his own. He's playing, uh, I, I believe the A-team has been calling it uh, the Mind Hammer. <laughs> and uh, it's it's Jace, Tezzeret, and Koth, and a bunch of support cards. Uh, you've got a bunch of artifacts to, to search up with Tez, like uh, you got Prophetic Prism and Everflowing Chalice, and... I was not, yeah, oh yeah, Prophetic Prisms, Everflowing Chalice, and Sphere of the Suns. It's just a bunch of, like, value cards. You're killing with Inferno Titans and Kudolta Phoenix, and Planeswalker ultis. And he's got four Tumble Magnet, which is good, three Slagstorm, because you're not really playing dudes. Well, what he was saying was just, like, <clears throat> like the whole game plan, like, Inferno Titan and Kudolta Phoenix were kind of, like, secondary game plans. They were like, okay, if I get to the late game, these guys are going to do the work. Right. His whole game plan was to turn three a Planeswalker, and smash with a four four or a five five, right? Like that was his plan. Like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know. It's cute. Like all the planeswalkers are pretty powerful. Um, I can't imagine this mana the being most good. Par- powerful form- planeswalkers in the format, and they just jammed him in a deck. Yeah, is what it really is. And it's not actually all that impressive, I don't think. But it's it's interesting to say the least. Um, there's I mean, four Inferno Titans. Sometimes those guys just win. and that's the thing yeah. is you can just play an Inferno Titan. It's just really good value. Like, it's it's the kind of deck that just took as many. It, it said these are my favorite colors. What cards have orange rarity symbols? <laughs> Let's put them all in a deck together. Hey, galvanic blast is common. You're right. <laughs> uh, um, so I mean, there's there's still um, interesting decks out there that you know, like a lot of people are just. 
I don't know, like, I I don't hate to, like, beat on people, I guess, but, like, people who just kind of, like, boo-hoo, like, innovation and just, like, well, let's just play the best deck and just play what pros are. And, like, there's there's definitely, like, valid points there. Like, yeah. you should, like, if, you know, you, you're having a hard time brewing or whatever, like, just take something that you know is good and just right. play the shit out of it. Um, that being said, there's something to be said for just taking something that they're not going to see. They're not going to expect to see it, and you're just going to be able to, a lot of times, just outplay them because they just don't know what to do. Yeah, and, you know, I, I saw Gerard Fabiano with that strategy this weekend. He was playing Bant Blade. Hell yeah. Yeah, a guy had Fauna Shaman, Vengevine, uh, Stoneforge, Swords, Squad Hawks, and that was pretty much it. And Counter Spells. And uh, basically, you're, you're playing a whole bunch of good man lands and uh vengevine train and like you just like usually like Cawblade has like uh the control aspect and that and the uh aggro aspect which is why they're fish well bant blade was pretty much uh one kind of aggro and another kind of aggro and sometimes you man like shit right and it was it was really interesting to, to watch people watch him play that especially when like it seemed pretty good in the mirror because you get hit by a sword and you're like And a lot of people seem to have been adopting that strategy. Um, I watched Kyle Sanchez play black, white, green Fauna Shaman Squadron Hawks this weekend. Yeah, let's. let's Uh, Like, yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kyle. I'm not. I'm not trying to like shit on the guy or anything. But I'm not sorry. I totally in round three. (laughs) I know you're not the biggest fan of him. I I don't like Kyle Sanchez very much. Anyway, uh, it was round three, and I found his name on the pairing board. I guess I didn't realize how many players were at the event. I was like, oh. He's on table like three hundred and fifty. Yeah. And then when I like went down there, I was like, "Oh, this is he's the pl- I'm like, he's playing against a guy with an unsleeved deck. This is interesting. <laughs> like, this is interesting. <laughs> and so I stood around. And I was like, "Huh, I wonder what's what's going to happen here." And uh, the guy made a nicker rat. And then I was like, "Oh, so this is the kind of matches that are in the O2 bracket." <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean. I, I don't being said, how great would that guy feel? It's like I totally beat Kyle Sanchez. <laughs> My first play was a turn three Icarat. He had nothing. I just fucking face fucked him with an Icarat. <laughs> Untamed Mike Blight Mamba. Eat it, Squadron Hawk. Eat it. Shout out to the guy who uh, ended up playing mono black. Uh, he was playing Plague Stingers and Adventuring Gear, and you have no idea how many people just died to a Plague Stinger with an Adventuring Gear on it. Oh Pretty god! Good. Oh yeah, I remember that guy. We were. We were chilling next to the pairing board, and he just came by, and he was like, "Hey, you know, I'm a fan." And man, I That's I like feel two turn clock. I feel kind of <laughs> bad because I I was it was during the same round that I went around and saw the unsleeved unsleeved versus Sanchez matchup. Um, I we were also like. Uh, this guy we on were table tra- ten at the time, though. We, yeah, we were we were traveling with some guys that weren't super experienced at like being GPS or having buys, right. and they were like, "Oh no, we need to like go by and and scout all the matches no, that are at the no top table." I'm like, guys, I don't think you understand the top. The undefeated bracket is like half the room. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you can't really scout half the room. Yeah. Uh, you probably should have scouted like Moto results or something if you really wanted the value. So like, but up, up on table ten, this guy was. Uh, a plague stinger with an adventuring gear on it yeah. and just a bunch of swamps and i was looking at this match like he's like okay well yeah like i walk by I'm like okay well that's fake uh keep going and you know apparently he finished uh six three on the end of the day yeah i believe that was yes, record, that right? was his final day one record it yes. would have been it would have been really inspiring to see that make make day two pretty cool i would i would have been really really proud of him because yeah. because it's it's just it's something different 
and unexpected. Yeah, Man. shout out to all the dudes, by the way, that we saw on the weekend that recognized us as Scrubland. Uh, we love having fans come up and talk to us. Uh, it was great to meet all you guys, and uh, just I. Uh, Next time, I will actually have shirts to sell to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we actually just made a whole bunch of shirts to look at. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and I forget them when I go places. You also forgot all of the business cards. Congratulations. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, mm, yep. No, I'm calling you that out. That happened. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we we had that big topic. We had that big discussion about beta and alpha versions of them, and then right. we decided that we're just going to keep them intentionally rare and keep them all <laughs> local no, no. to the Virginia I gave, area. I gave them out to every person who recognized them as Scrub. Yeah, he kept he kept running up to me, going, right. "Do you have any more cards? You got some cards?" I'm like, "Chris, they're in play right now. I'm using them. Like, <laughs> yeah. I like I wrote two two and three three on a bunch yeah. of them. Like, you can have you can have like a couple of my ones that have three three on them. Do you want me to sign it? <laughs> I mean." <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? Um, one more thing I want to talk about with Dex was Channel Fireball bringing Dor- to Dor- bring Dor- Dor- Doros? Dorcos. Dorcos. No, the reason I, I, said I started out like that is because I actually think of Channel Fireball, and they, they play a lot of incremental attack decks like Doran for a while. and That's just because LSB is white. White. Not a What? <laughs> what? That made no sense. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What are you talking about? Like, LSB loves... When he was still a scrub and not doing well on the Pro Tour, all of his decks were like Troll Aesthetic locks it on Hierarch. <laughs> he was like, that, that was every single Pro Tour. He's like, hey, made the Pro Tour, time to play Hierarchs. <laughs> hey, made the Pro Tour. Uh, I hear that, uh, what's some, what's some retarded creature? Wilt Leaf Liege is the new guy, <laughs> time to play him. Like, uh, that, that happened a lot. I'm, I'm giving you guys shit. Uh, but I, I didn't even know that. This Boros deck. The, supposedly a, a large portion of people wearing that t-shirt we're playing didn't do so well. Yeah, you know what? The three people who did not uh, end up playing Boros... Well, sorry, there was there was Orin... Not Orin. Owen T- Turtenwald and uh, Josh Utter-Layton, Raptor. By the way, shout out. Sorry for calling you Webster accidentally. <laughs> that definitely happened. What a prank. I was like, oh, <laughs> Because uh, I was I was congratulating Owen Turtenwald on his uh, on his top eight, and then uh, I wa- I start walking away, and Josh turns and he goes, "I'm right here," and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry, Webster. I mean Raptor." <laughs> Dang, it was awful. He was also drunk on strippers and cheap beer. <laughs> that did not so happen. Uh, that absolutely <laughs> happened, buddy. You can't. Oh, don't give me that look like you didn't go to a strip club and get all saucy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout out on the guest. My mm-hmm. mother's mm-hmm. listening. Jeez. Yep. Oh my goodness. If she doesn't know that you fly to foreign cities just to go to their <laughs> foreign titty cities bars. like Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Have totally you ever boring. been to a strip? Oh, guys, if you come to Virginia for our strip clubs, you're gonna be sorely disappointed. Just letting you know. Oh, it's not that. Bad. If you expect that woman to take her bottom off, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah, that won't happen. <laughs> anyway. So, I mean, I don't know if what you go to strip club for, but saying like not to see <laughs> strippers crotches. Oh, I'm Jesus. sorry, it's for the buffet. You're right. Absolutely, oh. legs and eggs, baby, legs and eggs. <laughs> <laughs> when you have to advertise it like that, it's exactly yeah, you know you're getting quality. Uh, so, Channel Fireball played this Boros deck, and I don't know what was in it, but. I, I assume that they were. I assume that they got on uh, the Daniel Sale plan of Hero of Oxford Ridge breaks the format. Right. I'm assuming that their Boros deck had a bunch of that card. That's in pretty it. Much they, they actually thought. just listened to our podcast and they're like, "Hey, mm. let's just play with these." Guys. Yeah, they're like, so, "We can't, we can't post this on our website. If we do, they'll, you know, I'll let all the text slip out." <laughs> um. So that, that's what I was saying, though. Is uh, Utterlayton and Turnwald did not play Boros. 
did, did both top aided. Uh, the closest person to them was, I believe, Paulo Vitor, who made 32nd, or, or in the top 32 at least, and then Paul Rietzel, who top 64, I believe. And So uh, Paulo sleeved up Boros? Yeah, believe it or wow. not. Wow. It's really shocking that, uh, and a lot of people were saying, I think that those guys just lost value because they're not used to playing these weird attack decks. Yeah, exactly. And that they're they're all used to, like, sleeving up Jace the Mind Sculptors and playing on the linear of I'm a better player than you and I get to touch my deck a lot, so clearly I will win the game. And when you shuffle up mountains and plains, you don't touch your deck a whole lot. You just have know. to believe Boros in the cards. You, the new Boros lets you touch your deck quite a bit. If, yeah, if, oh, sorry, if you, if you enjoy playing Magic the Shuffling, then yeah. sure. <laughs> That's the extended format, right? I just like destroying <laughs> my cards one <laughs> shuffle at a time. Um, no, I mean, Boros is, is, you know, kind of... I, I guess what LSB kind of described as the "quote unquote" best aggro deck. Yeah. Absolutely. So I guess if you use, I mean, if you're just expecting totally a lot is. of control decks, then I guess it's fine to just sleeve up what you think is the best control deck. Uh, that being said, I, I the way that those guys play and the way that they kind of just go about everything they do, I think I just can't imagine them not sleeving up Jason. Yeah, me either. Uh, it, it might be a fact that they wanted to. I don't even think it was that they were trying to prove a point. I mean, it would be really nice if they did prove a point about it. Like you know. Well, I mean, based on what. What LSV has said on Channel Fireball, like when he he's been doing this Gauntlet series or whatever, and he just really felt comfortable with the way he was performing with Boros. Yeah. So I yeah, guess he just was, got other people on his. That was a Facebook post side. of his. Was uh, just posted the final day of Boros. Really happy with the way it went. Yeah. So have you seen some of those de- some of those some of those videos? I gotta say, like pretty low quality opponents. I understand you're playing the eight mans on Moto, so you're supposed to get like you know. A, a large portion of the metagame basis, and you know, you can kind of play anybody in those things. And a lot of times, I've watched them. Are you talking about the testing? The testing he does against his teammates. I, I mean, they're testing against a teammate, sure, but in the Gauntlet series, a lot of those he's just playing fake ass opponents with fake ass decks. I've been really disappointed with the Gauntlet series, surely because when they enter the eight mans and they play against random guy, random guy almost always makes a mistake. Oh yeah. Or like you, you just. Why are you playing a deck that can't win? It's really frustrating, and I almost feel like it's wasting my time mm-hmm. by by them by them like hosting this 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 video of hey, well, this is how my deck plays, and like you, you get a false sense of like, wow, I bet that deck's pretty good because it crushed this guy. And if you're if you don't have a really keen eye towards like what actually happened in the game, of course he's gonna win. Like the guy played a signal pest and a glint hawk. Like these decks, like that deck is not real anymore. So, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm being, real to start with. I mean, yeah, but like maybe <laughs> I'm being too harsh on the deck, but it just uh, on the whole series. But like, I really enjoyed when they started. When he was like, "Hey, it's me and Brad, and we're just gonna run ten games here for a minute." Yeah, like d- do more of that. Yeah, do less of enter random eight man, enter enter random daily. Right. Yeah. Those I, those I are not you. very entertaining. I absolutely feel you. I. Uh, so I guess in closing we could say that sleeping on Boros probably wasn't the best idea for no, this, for, really. for Team Channel Fireball, who like usually just puts up really impressive number. And like, I, granted, like utterly people in the top eight. Yeah, so. exactly. Like Utter Layton and, and Turtonwald is. It's going to be interesting to read the tournament reports and see where their mindset was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially Paulo. Like, I just so insane that he did that. Although he still performed well, so. All right, can we stop beating around the bush? I want to talk about the fact that 32 Jaces were in the top eight of this event. That's what I was going to say. We've, we've touched on Jace a couple times in this cast, and uh, 
Jace, Jace is like the best card made in like the past like ten years. So except ch- for like JIT. So <laughs> I so I keep going back to this, but um Channel Fireball just did their series, what uh where uh, Luis and, and who's the other guy? Tristan. Tristan, Tristan. are just uh, going through their like top eights of of whatever they want, yeah. and so they did this top eight list of of best blue cards. And Jason Vine Sculptor was in it, and he wasn't even the bottom card. He was like in the middle of the pack somewhere. He's like, yeah, four. He was like he's like he's like five or six or yeah. something. I mean, and the fact that he could land on a list like that, and it's not even a fake thing. It's not like Wizards putting sort of body and mind in their promo box as a as a check out this sick card. It's gonna be like you haven't even seen this card yet because they use it as a as a promotional thing. Right. Right. It's like no, Jace is the real deal. He yeah. actually is so good that uh, you know he's on the he, he he's having want, an impact on every format. It's I don't want to use the term mistake, but. It almost feels like the mistake card because it's certainly not a mistake. They they saw this in their future league. They knew that this was going to happen, and it's just not as okay. It's certainly super powerful, uh, but as I was saying a couple weeks ago, uh, the format isn't uh, Jace. You win anymore. It's like Jace is a really fantastic utility card that can be also also be used as a linear to victory. It might be. Uh, <sighs> The it, thing is, like the decks that like the deck, the uh, when you're sit when you sleeve up Jace and you sit down across an opponent who also sleeved up Jace, then it becomes like this weird situation of like battling over Jace, who's can stick whatever. But when you sit down across a person who sleeved up Goblin Guide, your Jace looks like shit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I kind of disagree with that personally. I don't know. Like As playing a deck this weekend that had Jace in it. Every time I sat down against somebody making mountains. I felt like I was in such a commanding presence of the game that they were not even close to winning. Well, for- every time I played my Jace and I knew that it wasn't going to get Legend ruled out or that I could plus two it to five and they were going to have to use at least one card in an attack phase or two cards to kill it, it felt so incredibly good. I, the fact that I've already gotten value out of it, you have to use even more cards to get rid of it or time, right. and then I can just play another one. That that alone made it so incredibly difficult for them to win. Okay, so you were only playing two Zenith and uh, Mono Red and Boros, both both playing eight to. Is there more haste creatures in the deck? I don't think so. Just eight haste creatures each for Goblin. Not good enough. Oxid, and you did. Did you board them out? Jace's? Sometimes, not all the time. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. I feel like Jace is boarded I mean, you, out in those matchups, though. Not all, not all but, the copies. I never boarded out all the copies. Sometimes you board out two. Sometimes you board out one, depending on what you need to bring in. Well, so, um, so it's so weird. Like I've talked to like, the other control players in the area, and like just you guys too. It's like you know, like people like it's conventional wisdom that like Jace is kind of bad against the aggro decks, but he's also really good when you put him in top deck mode. Well, he's not bad. That's true. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Jace just locks anything out of the game once you've like run them out of cards. If it's an attrition war you're looking for, Jace will finish it off. But I, uh, you gotta okay. So the real question is. Should Jason Mind Sculptor be banned, and how much better would the format be what? if it was? Absolutely I don't think not. that's not a real and question. I don't think that I don't that that's that's not a my question. That's a, a listener request from Benny Smith. But I think that it's it's a valid point uh, just to think about uh, the impact that Jace's had on the format. Obviously, the cards had a tremendous impact on the format. You can't say it hasn't. It's been well, a completely dominant force from the first well, day it got printed. Okay, well, it hasn't ever put up this many Jaces in a top eight. It hasn't, it, I mean, it, it hasn't better? put it hasn't put up thirty two. That's that's true. But from the dawn of it being legal, it's been in every top eight. Obviously, it, it literally every top eight it will be in. Absolutely. And, and 
there are very few blue decks that it's not in. Right. And trust me, we tried. We had an entire podcast about it. Right. Well, it's it, like, it, it, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, like, it would, it, it's, it was minimized a little bit when Bloodbraid was all over the place. Yeah. Because Bloodbraid was a great answer to Jace because it's got haste and it brings another card with it, which usually helps take care of Jace. Um, we don't have a card like that right now. Right. There's nothing that has, is anywhere near the power of Bloodbraid Elf in our, our format. So like when they took away that tool, and they took away O-Ring, which was one of the other, like, not really not as good as Bloodbraid, but still good pretty answer. good answer to Jace. They took away both of those, and then they didn't give us anything of comparable value. Okay, so <laughs> that's something that I want to say is you said Jace is bad against creatures. I don't think it's bad against creatures. I think it's really bad against haste creatures, and the decks that you're playing with Jace in them are, are good against any other creatures. I think it's great against... I think Jace is insane against rock decks. I think Jace is insane against other control decks. And I think that hasty little dude aggro... It's not good at all. So, I, I mean, I think when you when you play a deck like Blue Black Control versus like Kaga or something, Kaga like it doesn't play any spot removal really. So like they they kind of go unchecked. Like their hasty creatures go unchecked. Well, one so, of the three decks doesn't play any spot removal except for Condemn. What's that? That's the, the blue white version only plays Condemn. The blue at black set plays Doomblade and Go for the Throat. Well, that's kind of an red. evolution that they've kind of taken. Because the initial carnations of this didn't play Spot Removal. Right, okay. They didn't okay, play I'll Journeys. They didn't play Condemns. They were just relying on their number of day judgments to kind of right. get the work done. Um, <clears throat> some of, you know, like like you said, some are moving to Condemn. Some are moving to Tumble Magnet. Whatever. But, like, D-Sales deck, like, the blue-black control deck is playing lots of Spot Removal. Yeah. So, yep. it, like, it much, like, it's turns two and three like are just spent like either mana leaking their creatures or killing it or whatever so that their jace is gonna probably live through a swing yeah i also added the black sun zeniths as well like right. if if you're looking my my removal package was two doom blade two go for the throat two tumble magnet two black sun zenith it's pretty and good. that's eight removal spells that all per, that just if i have a jace and one of those removal spells it, my Jace has a high likelihood of activating a second time. It right. might as well be infinite uh, with the amount of filtering and draw that you add. So. I think. I think that. I really hate to use the term mistake. It. It. it it's really harsh because like people were like Bloodbright Elf was a mistake, and people are really quick to like label things as like being way too good. That card's way too good. I can't believe they would do that. Obviously, well, yada yada yada. Jace. The first time he activates, you probably haven't lost the game. Lots of lots of games can be won through one Jace activation. Right. But once they start activating a second time, each incremental activation of it makes it much, much harder to win. Absolutely. And I guess you could say that about every Planeswalker. Usually when you're, the Planeswalkers sit around the table forever, they'll win the game. But, like, a Garrick Wildspeaker can sit on the table for, like, five turns, and I wouldn't care. Like, I, there's a lot of... <laughs> well, it has to be... Uh, Garrick works in combination with other right. cards that it, has to be played. And that just does it by itself. That's how a lot of the Planeswalkers are. They either cost a whole lot of mana and do something really good, or they don't cost very much mana, but they don't do something incredible. They have to, like, work in some kind of theme deck. Yeah. Right. So, Jace, on the other hand, doesn't cost a whole lot of mana and is really, really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I, I found most games that I got to activate my Jace a second time were just over. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call out one of one of my opponents here. I don't even know what his name was anymore, but he's playing traditional blue white control. He's one of the only people on day two playing it. Mm-hmm. He makes a turn two Ratchet Bomb, and I was like, "Wow, I haven't seen that card all tournament." All right, well, sure, you got that Ratchet Bomb, 
And he starts clicking it up, and I'm like, not really that worried about it. I have a tumble magnet in play to kind of like, I don't know, if you really want to kill this tumble magnet, you can. Because um, like his win conditions were Jace, Sun Titan, Colonnade. I'm right. pretty sure that's all he had to win the game with. And he he did. He won one of the games with Sun Titan. It just got on top of me, and I couldn't win. Mm-hmm. But uh, I got my Jace on seven counters, and he had his Ratchet Bomb on four. And I play a Grave Titan. And then he sits there and thinks about it forever. He's like, do I click it and up? And he's like, do I click it up or do I not click it up? Do I blow it right now? He's like, obviously really frustrated and confused about like, what am I supposed to do now? And so he ends up not doing anything and taking his turn. And I'm like, okay, sure. He's still got it on four. I guess he wants to see his draw. He take like, he takes his hand, doesn't really do much of anything. And then passes the turn back to me. Huh? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> I'm like, uh, like, like, okay. Well, I like you have any number of cards in your hand. You have to have some play that was better so, than doing nothing. So I assume that he's on the he's on the assumption that now uh, he's going to he, grave. Titan? He can he can beat my grave titan. He can obviously beat my grave titan and wants to use it on my Jace, but he needs to make sure that his removal is good for my grave titan. Okay, so now you're either on. So you've got to be on some kind of What's instant spell. You've, you've got to be on some kind of an instant speed throw. removal spell. No, he's blue white. So I'm assuming oh, it's con- I'm assuming it's condemned. Yeah. condemned. It, like you narrow it down in your head. You're like, what 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 could it possibly be? He didn't have journey for nowhere. He would have done that on his turn. Uh, it's got to be condemned. What did you do? Swing okay. with zombies. So like swing with everybody. Everybody get okay. condemned. I'm like, all right, cool. I have four zombies. Right. This is still bad for you. Uh, use my Jason. I'm like, well. If I keep trying to click it up to like nine and then eleven and then thirteen, he's, he's gonna, gonna bomb he's it. gonna bomb it. So just start getting cards. I'm just gonna start brainstorming every turn and not try to use it as a win condition. And card him. and just uh, he took his turn again. I brainstormed. Took he took his turn and then he didn't blow it up again. Wow. And I'm like, what is going on? Real like you've had my onboard kill Jace for two turns. You're just like not going to use it. Maybe he was just waiting for him to draw his own. <laughs> and so, I, yeah, like I was, it was really, really baffling. And uh, this is, I, I mean, you guys might be just screaming at your headphones at this point, but like the guy ended up losing the game. Obviously, Whoa, no way. <laughs> like I drew an insane amount of cards. I wasn't going to lose at that point. I don't know what his game plan was, but like. Jace is the kind of card that puts people in situations where they have to think about, like, what they're doing. And I think that the reason Wizard says, oh, well, this is an acceptable card to print, is because sometimes people will play Jace and have no idea what they're doing with it. Right. They just they just have it. And they're like, well, you know, make the worst play possible. I have three options. And they just make the worst play possible. And if you're a better player and you still need to be a little bit lucky, you can beat them in that, in that spot. Mm-hmm. But, like, the really good players crush with it yeah. because they always make the correct decision well that's the thing like also like you know everyone's like oh jason my sculpture is too powerful you know blah 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 blah. when they made him he wasn't when they made him blood Bray was around when he when they, when they made him they they were future league and then they're like oh this card keeps this card in check maelstrom pulse oblivion yeah, ring exactly. blood Braid elf blightning all they these have, things were i think it was really blightning, blightning, blightning right. yeah and it was just like okay this there's so many cards to keep this card in check it's not overpowered and as they just went on and kept on making no cards, I mean, maybe there are cards that they future leave that are just like the stone nuts against Jace that we're just not, nobody, you know, there is, come up with. There is, the, there is the spoiled Hex Parasite, Hex Parasite which, yeah. hopefully, like, which hopefully is like this holy grail of, of killing Planeswalkers. Well, d just talked about a spoiler. It'd be, it'd be really <laughs> nice if, if that was actually a card that 
finish things off. No, because we saw this coming in our farewell to Alara block. We said we said straight up. I, re- I really things. hope that they give us something that is similar to Maelstrom Pulse and Oblivion Ring because if they don't, we're going to be in trouble. Right. And here we are in not, trouble. nine months <laughs> later and we're in trouble <laughs> and we have 32 copies of a card in a top eight. All right. With all these Jaces and all these things that uh, we're seeing in the metagame right now and uh, with Nationals qualifiers coming up for people, uh, what would you like to recommend from each of you uh, on what's a play and why? Now, I want I want to before I let you go, I want to say I feel like. The most important thing to remember in all of this is your metagame because these Nationals qualifiers are actually going to be pretty small events, and which is weird because they're going to be happening on different like week weekends. But they're going to be like, like I think there's four that we or five in, in our state that we've heard of so far. I don't far. even understand what it's, they're doing. It's this a year. really weird situation with these regionals, but I, I understand what you're saying. I think most of these, if you're going to a local store regional qualifier, or they're called Nats qualifiers, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're going to one of these local Nats qualifiers that that have one spot, the the top finisher will get the invite to Indianapolis in the summer. Um, actually, I think it's an even worse name. I think they're actually called regional national qualifiers right now. Wow. Yeah. Sick name. Yeah, I know, right? Wow, Wizards. Nice branding. Um, I believe that these events will get similar to what your normal local events will get. If you only get 25 people at your local FNM, I would expect no more than double. Yeah. I would expect probably 50, maybe 60 if you get 25 at your FNM. I'll give you that. And I think that that's going to be normal for most of these places. And a 60-person tournament is not a small tournament. No. Right. But it's definitely a predictable tournament. There were 1,200 people in Texas this weekend. Mm-hmm. It was a lot more difficult to predict exactly what you were going to play against. We knew that we'd play against Squadron Hawks. We knew that we'd play against Valakut. We knew that we'd play against Rug. But those were, like, general. Right. And you were also in a situation where... I could have played against Squadron Hawks every single round for 15 rounds. Right. Yeah. And in your local store, that's not going to happen. You can't like it's it's almost impossible to play against the exact same deck every round a, of a tournament. There was a guy day one in Texas who played Cobblade all all nine rounds and made day two. Yeah. And I mean that's that can happen. And so I think at these smaller events, you need to know your local game and just. I mean, well, that's the thing. It's, it's metagaming one hundred and one, like, right? You're not. Yeah. It's not. They're the events aren't huge. They're going to be five to seven rounds of Swiss. So you take that in consideration. Like you can play decks like Red Deck Wins and Boros and have a really good day because you're not playing a ridiculous amount of rounds. You're playing like you know you can play five rounds of you know just play solid win 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 and then you can just draw into the top eight. Absolutely. Or you can just do something like you know like you. It, depending on what, how many people you think are going to show up depends on what kind of deck you can play. Like, you can't play, like, a 12-rounder with Red Deck Wins and expect to do fucking nuts with it because it's fucking Red Deck Wins. Yeah, you you can't play a 5-rounder. You can play a 5-rounder because you can run hot for that long. If I had to suggest a deck for this weekend and call me a sellout or whatever, find Jace the Mind Sculptors, beg for Jace the Mind Sculptors. Don't steal them, but, you know... <laughs> Unless you're positive you can get away with it. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, if they're just, like, laying in a in a Buffalo Wild Wings parking lot or something, <laughs> you might, you might want to just go ahead and play it for your regionals event. But, you know, uh, also, I got to go back to last episode. Was it last week? Yeah, I guess it was last week's episode. Um, I played four preordains this week, and they were awesome. Yeah. They were so good. That's something, Oh, yeah. brother. They were real, real good. That's something I want to talk about, too. Like, um, I didn't go to Dallas, you know, these guys went to Dallas, and I played near my little qualifier tournaments here in town because there was two. 
There's one for TCG at the Raceway, and there's one at uh, FTW Games that I didn't play at because I had to work. But uh, the first day I played just traditional blue-eye control, and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to sleep up preordained. I want to see what all the hype's about. And I really liked it. It felt really good. Yeah. It feels really <laughs> good to cast that card. Like, they're, like I was just playing it, and like I'd have like a like everything I played in that deck like gave me another card. Like yeah. It was Wall of Omen, Sea, Oracles, Preordains. You know, it was just like... Everything was just value. I was playing Jaces, you know, five Jaces and like Sun Titans to get my Jaces back. <laughs> like I just had, there was never a point in the game when I had less than five cards. Like I was just like always had this dominating mid. And like Preordain just helped you just get everything yeah. you needed at any point. For for as upsetting as it is to, you know, come to this conclusion, I think the conclusion is is pretty clear at this point. All these Squad Hawk decks have it. Uh, all the winning decks have four Preordains in them. Whether you think it's good or not, the numbers don't lie. Right. The people that have preordains are winning more games. And the reason is because they always have the answer and they always have more cards. Right. And I don't know. Blue is a good color. Preordains a good card. Whoa. I would suggest playing preordains for this weekend. So um And and preordains until it rotates, personally. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm sold. So I'm, one more thing that we want kinda want to talk about like was, you know, a tangent from this this weekend on Saturday. <clears throat> um I run I won round one against some weird Grand Architect deck, whatever. Um, it was a good deck. It was just it didn't do anything that out. Blue Eye Control can do better. So I beat him, and then round two I get paired up against my buddy Will Haas, and he's playing Elves, and he's like, "Well, uh, let me." We sit down across from each other, and like, so what are we gonna do? Like, he's like, "I don't know. I think you have a pretty good matchup against me," and I was like, "Well, I mean, that being said, I mean, I don't, you know, like." We we consider drawing, and you end up did we draw, end up did yeah. drawing, and like so I I basically what our, our reasoning was like you know we felt like we were probably better players in probably half the room, and more so he felt like he had a good matchup against all the decks that would end up in the draw bracket, and I felt like my traditional blue eye control was just better against the cargo decks which I thought would also be in the draw brackets, so we were like okay well let's just draw and. It ended up, I guess, I don't know, it's weird. Like, I drew in round four against Kenny Mare, so it ended up just being bad for me because I ended up, I, I didn't have a single loss until round six. But you ended up XX2. Right. I, I ended up uh, was 3-1-2. Yeah. 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 And, and, like, that's just a really awkward record to yeah. have because when it comes to the end of a tournament, yeah. your your second draw is, Two draws is real, real awkward. Right. And so, and that's what it ended up being. Like I, I, the only loss, the only loss that I had was in the bubble match, and that was the one that knocked me out of the top eight. Right. So I think here's here's what you have to consider, especially when it's an early round, right? And you're considering taking the taking the intentional draw. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the intentional draw that doesn't intention that doesn't like lock you for a top eight, right? Because those are those are pretty cut and dry. It's like oh, the numbers say I'm in. Right. Congratulations, us. Right. Um. And this one's more of a gamble. These are just... these are the intentional draws that are real. They were they require a lot of thought about you and you, first first of all, do I have a good matchup against my opponent? Right. If like he's offering me the intentional draw right now, is it because he's trying to level me because he thinks he has a bad matchup? If he just has a bad matchup, he's going to want the draw instead of the loss because right. he knows he can never beat me. So, you are giving up some you're giving up something there by you know, like giving giving him an extra point. You could have had three, but you're giving him one. Um, 
it's it's kind of like when you tell the dealer to run it two times, right? Because you know it's my pair versus your two overs, and it's the classic poker race of well, you could win or I could win, and I think we both had the right. We both made correct decisions in this entire hand, so you know let's kind of hedge the bets a little bit and make sure that you know what's really supposed to happen happens. Right. And in my opinion, really. Uh, as long as you're both XO, you draw with uh, you draw with people who you know are good players, and you make an intelligent. You, you have to make an informed decision about it. But the reason being, uh, you like if you are X one, you cannot draw with right. a friend. Uh, if you are XO, you can afford to draw. However, you cannot lose and cannot draw for the rest of the day. Right. Uh, and giving giving like okay. I go into a lot of tournaments if they're money tournaments with a crew and the crew s- decides in between them saying whoever wins chops it with right. the rest of the crew. And so obviously that's the right choice there. Um, if you're going and playing and not planning to chop it with anyone, then you obviously just play, don't draw, beat everyone right. as, as best you can. It's It's a spot where... Chris, you said that I think you said you draw with good players. Yes. I disagree. I don't think that you're supposed to just draw with good players. Otherwise, nobody would win the tournament. You have to actually I'm, play your games. You and get, I think that intentionally I think that intentionally drawing with anybody is usually negative value. For for the most part, it's usually negative value because going into the draw bracket is usually bad value. The draw bracket in pretty much every event everywhere makes you play against people that are not sure what they're doing, have, or or have really slow play tendencies, and what I I don't generally like playing against people that take unintentional draws because it means they're doing something retarded. Either they're playing a retarded deck, no. or they're a really stupid person. Slow players, and I don't like playing against those people because then I have to call a judge in the first ten minutes of a round. Yeah, if you're especially if your opponent is this is this is key, guys, for for real serious tournaments. If you're in a draw bracket and you think your opponent is starting to play slow, even from the beginning of a match, call call a, call a judge. And you have to call a judge in the first 10 minutes of a match. Be polite about it. But it's important. But you need to just say, I need you to, wa- I need you you to watch, watch our match for slow play. I need you to watch the match for slow play. And the judge will be more than happy to be like, oh, yeah, sure. Most of the time, they'll hang out for about 30 to 60 seconds, and then they'll peace out. Because the other player will pick up their because pace. Because the other person will pick up their pace. However, what it does do, it does two things. One, it lets the judge know. The judge might walk away. But they, he's going to come back. They still have it in their mind. They're yeah. trained. To, they're trained to know that when a, when people are a, notifying you of this, they're going to watch. They're going to watch from yeah, a, from a distance. A they're going to watch you from the next row over the end of the table. Like you've made your you've made your thoughts known. The other thing is to your opponent, you letting them know I don't mess around. I yeah. don't like you need to play correctly and quickly so that we can finish a game of magic cards. Right. This is going to be bad for us because <laughs> like in your situation, you got a second draw. A right. second draw kills your tournament. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you the the chances of actually getting into a top 8 with two draws, it's you you need it's to be slim, like yeah. you need to be XO2 in most situations to end up in the top 8 of a tournament. Right. So, also side note, pro tip, never in a in a tournament where you're not going to know every single person, do you ever not pile shuffle their deck into a prime number in game one? Lesson learned this weekend from me. So it's just a, it's a, I don't want to re- elaborate, but 
I had a, I had a, I had a shifty feeling from someone and I confirmed it later on the day and I talked to multiple judges and I think you should elaborate. I think this is a situation where people need to know and, okay. and learn from your bad, learn from your bad beat. It's my, it's not my bad beat. It's it, my bad example. Um, I, 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 I like to, I do like to pile shuffle. Okay. So if you don't know this, if you don't pile shuffle into a prime number, uh, then you are just reordering your deck. And when you reorder your deck, it like if you were to mana weave it and reorder your deck, which is land spell, land, land spell, land, land spell, uh, uh, you end up just with the same draw as every friggin' game. Can I can I pile my deck into one pile? It's a prime <laughs> sure, number. You sure can. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's only reordering when I mean your deck. It's five or seven. I'm sorry, I'm piles being of five or seven. Okay, three doesn't even work. I know. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, so this guy uh, is is. He's he's a big donkey looking guy, and I don't even give him much much of a second glance because he's he's riffle shuffling towards himself. And I actually gave this guy the option. I was he riffle shuffled towards himself and presented, and, and instead of calling him over for a probably irrelevant uh, warning, uh, since it was uh, round five, and he told me that he had two buys, uh, I I was just gonna I just said don't present me your deck, shuffle it some more. And he gave me this kind of, oh, yeah, it's not proper randomization, even though I wasn't looking at it. And I was like, how do I know that you have a lazy eye? But uh, <laughs> also true. Also true. And so he, he like, shuffles it a little bit more and packet shuffling, not really shuffling. And then he presents, and I'm like, that's good enough, whatever. Turn three, Inferno Titan, I die. And uh, I looked at him while he was shuffling, and he just piled into six again. So I was like, well... That's not going to work for me since you've got two shifty things you're doing right now. Uh, I'm I'm piled him into fives and I piled him into sevens and then I packet shuffled his deck and I handed it back to him. Surprise! No turn three Inferno Titan. In fact, he had some terrible draws. And I beat him in that game and then uh, we he grounded out in a, in a third game where uh, he and I, I had I had some awful draws as well. But I mean I had triple Slagstorm. It killed three Planeswalkers. That was cool. Was the was the shifty shuffling repeated in the third game? Uh, he did. He did pile shuffle uh, into prime numbers uh, this time, so I let him have it, and I, I did. I, I I packet cut him again, um, but he again had mediocre draws, so it felt like a real game rather than instead of whatever. But uh, then the next round, I heard from two other people that uh, they they were both playing Valakit, and uh, th- this first round, th- this first guy who was doing the shifty shuffling, by the way, had mentioned to me, "I've I've played nothing but Valakit all day." And I was like, oh, that seems bad for me. And uh, then he, then then two other Valakid players on my table, the next table uh, down, were, were both sharing stories. They're like, yeah, this guy beats me, beat me game one and three just because he got turn three Inferno Titan. And uh, I looked down the table and was like, big guy, lazy eye. They were like, both of them were like, yeah. And so do you feel like something cheaty was going down? Uh, I felt absolutely that he was doing something cheaty. And I felt, actually, what was weird is after I piled shuffled his deck and gave it back to him and had a good game too, he started treating me with respect. I felt like he just assumed he could get away with cheating until he met a good player who recognized what he was doing. And then I didn't... And then they stopped. I, yeah, and then he stopped, and then... And then you have to play a real game of Magic, and real games of Magic have variants. Yeah. But when they're doing something super shady to begin a match, and you know what? 
we know what the real tragedy of this this whole thing is is that he can run that every single round for the entire tournament right and unless people actually call judges on it there there's nothing he he gets no he doesn't even get a warning right and so you said earlier that, that it, would, it was a relevant it warning. would it would result in an irrelevant warning that wasn't going to get you the win or loss right however it was going to put get, him on the radar it, it's going to put him on the radar for the rest of the tournament and, then, and then someone else later in the tournament is going to get the same thing the real tragedy about it is that i don't know if the judge program has assessed this differently or not but to my knowledge most of the time when someone comes up and uh, asks for this warning to be issued, uh, especially in the later they rounds, say, they say, a previous warning? have you gotten a warning like this before? The player says no. The guy goes, all right, and writes it on the back of the slip uh, and that is actually, tells him to continue. I spoke to Robert of MTGCast. Uh, he said two interesting things on the topic. Uh, he, I mentioned the same thing to him. He said it is recorded. It's recorded, but it's not... Every judge is not with every other judge. Right. So at the scorekeeping station, when the guy's entering the tournament results, he'll look at the back of every slip, and there will be things written down. He, they have a whole running log of it. Uh, it'll it'll show back up as a second warning. Uh, I'm really not sure what the upgrade penalties are, but yeah. it's not – unfortunately – I think the second warning is a game loss. Unfortunately, in one match, though. Unfortunately, right. like, as being the first or second person – that has to ask for this warning will get you nothing. Right. And they can get away with it for a really long time. Yeah, it's true. It's un- it's unfortunate, but you have to just be on the lookout. That's something for else, your opponent doing stupid stuff. That's something else Robert and I talked about is uh, he said, you know, cheating right now in the game is actually just easier to do because way back in the day, everyone cheated and you expected it. And now no one cheats and you don't really look for it. And you don't know what to look for, and people people don't understand what to look for. Well, I don't know. I just usually ripple shuffle my bonus <laughs> Yeah, like if they hit it, it's just like, brr, brr. and if they give me a look, I'm just like, well, you could have shuffled it more. Yeah, <laughs> etiquette, etiquette. If you had shuffled enough for me to feel comfortable with it, I wouldn't be doing this. Etiquette says <laughs> that you don't riffle shuffle your opponent's deck, uh, so well, I, they should shuffle more. I pile. <laughs> I, I only do that if they don't shuffle enough. I've been. I've said this at least once on the cast. I pile my opponent's deck before right. every single game of Magic. And, and I will be doing that from now it's, on. It's not every match. It's every game of Magic I play against them. I am literally piling my opponent's deck back out and then riffling it a couple times. I don't care if you don't like it. That's too bad. This is how I operate when I play Magic cards. I want to make sure that you presented me 60 cards and that you didn't cheat by shuffling. Right. And I'm sorry, like... I feel like this is good mechanics. So it, is. it absolutely is, and I would advocate that. And and I know that some people get a little upset about that. I don't advocate the riffling, but you should at least pile your opponent's deck. I've been asked to stop. I said we can call a judge. They said okay. The judge came by and said your opponent's allowed to randomize your deck however they want to, as right. long as they're not taking an excessive amount of time. Right. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. They're also not allowed to damage your cards. Right. So absolutely. I'm not damaging your cards, and I'm not taking four minutes to shuffle your deck. Right. You can deal with it. And I will talk to a judge about it every single round if I have to. I'm not committing a crime by you, shuffling your deck. And if you've ever seen uh, Daniel's or my Ripple Shuffles or Casby's even, then all the cards are just fine. If you learn how to sh- Ripple Shuffle in a delicate way. Not me, mine are 
jacked up. But that's because I, I only shuffle my own cards like that. Yeah, well, you, you. I take a lot more care when I'm power shuffling. shuffle. <laughs> but yeah, but okay. So what's else? What else do we want to talk about? Enough about shuffle. I'm sorry if you guys found that shuffling discussion excruciating. No, I mean, it it was I think it's all relevant stuff. It know? was important to say. Um, so uh, I, I don't know what else. Uh, you want to talk about? So, uh. Day one after uh, after D Sale uh, loses that last match to to Mono Green and we're he's a little upset and we need to get some booze on. Uh, we went out to a Mexican restaurant and uh, basically we we did a lot of we did a lot of drinking and it was a lot of fun. And at one point, me and D Sale are splitting a huge order of wings and uh, and we're like, yeah, get them as spicy as you can, spicy as you can. Right, waiter comes over and waiter's like, oh man, if you really want to get spicy, you should eat a habanero pepper. I'm trying to get the whole table to do one. I'm like, yeah, guys, we should do that. Everyone's like shooting me down. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I don't want to do it anymore. And this guy at the other table stands up and he's like, $20 if you do it. I was like, yes, sir. So we got that on camera. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Took it like a champ. <laughs> Chris Burrows. shot fire. So I never did. Chris Burrows was really drunk. I was pretty drunk. And... Then he did something irrational. <laughs> That's weird. Imagine that. <laughs> well, uh, all I, I did have the massive sweats for like thirty minutes, so <laughs> I was just pouring rivers down my face. That's your heart exploding. <laughs> and then we had to walk about a mile back to the hotel Which in the cool. in the balmy Texas night. So all good. Yeah, yeah. I uh, shout out to Mike Holsworth this week for winning the Charles League Presents Drafting with Scrubland Invitational. Oh uh, yeah. Um, One more. It should be really no. It's two more. It's going to be really more. fun because cool. right now it's Todd Crew and Mike Holsworth, which are both really fun guys to draft with. Yeah, so. yeah. This is going to turn out to be a really great tournament. I want everyone to, in the area to make sure they make it out. Uh, How do they qualify for this event? On Saturdays at Time Capsule, starting at two o'clock every week, we're gonna they're they're still having these for two more weeks. Actually, the yes, it is the second Saturday as well as also because uh, the, it's the same Saturday as the actual event. So you'll be drafting twice in a day. Uh, but it's fun. It's going to be good. Uh, win the draft. Get a seat. Uh, the second place runner-up is the alternate. Uh, please don't break anyone leg, anyone's legs, people. Whenever, <laughs> whenever to show up. There's been a lot of the, those jokes. There's uh, been there's been talks of leg breakage. Legs breakage. It yeah. turns out that you don't have to have your legs in walking order to play magic cards. That's true. But I've seen, I've seen there, it happen. In order to get there in a car, you normally normally need working legs to drive it. Wow. But. No, this is serious. They're they're gonna like crawl to Ashland. <laughs> it's gonna be <laughs> so, right, straight up the highway. All right, well, I think that's going to close up uh, Scrubland Podcast number 35, except for... the old, This old, peculiar beer. This old, yeah. peculiar beer. How did you feel about it? I really I really like this one. So what we're looking at here is the Fakeston's Legendary Ale, Old Peculiar. Uh, it's another one that Burroughs brought back from uh, his good old trip to Jolly England. And uh, I don't know. It's dark. It was delicious. 5.6 by volume. And uh, what is the Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival? Uh-huh. Not, that sounds kind of sweet. I actually have no idea. So, <laughs> this this beer runs its own uh, crime writing investigation. Sweet. If anybody knows, feel if, free to email if, us. If, yeah. if anybody, it's got an outline of a little guy in a in a silhouette like he got murdered. I'm not gonna read this whole thing. It's really long. Yeah. But, uh, it's a it's a nice dark beer and nice dark bottle. So, how many homicides out of ten? Uh, you know, there's. I'm gonna put it at a solid seven. It was a tasty beer. 
It was a little light for being a dark beer. It tasted light for being a dark beer, if that, was, if that makes any sense. But it was, it was pretty tasty. I like this beer. Yeah. It was good. Ooh. Wait, this date is in, is in European. I can't read in it. In European? Yeah. <laughs> 310511. What? what? Is that? Oh, no, because they, they do day, then month. Oh, okay. It's a good thing we drank this beer. It was almost dead. Almost dead? It was really? almost a dead beer. Oh. I didn't realize that. That's what happens when you import them. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Gotta understand they, they, the they crazy yin They can go bad. Like that yingling we have in my fridge. Oh, God. Let's you, never drink you that. Go, you want to go break into that one? No, sir. you really good. Spiking <laughs> <laughs> with some vodka. <laughs> that is a... Oh, God. My friends... Came, uh, we did this weird-ass cube draft, and Guy had a cup of, like... It was, like, green tea and Captain Morgan's. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? I'm like, I'm a bartender, you know? Like, I can, like, make you something real. And he was like, no, this is fine. It's really good. I'm like... Okay, and so later in the night, I lost a bet, and I gave him a beer, and then he put the beer in the cup with the tea and the rum. No, it's still like half full. <laughs> and then I was like, now your beverage isn't even like a real, a real thing. thing. It's like, like, I'm like, do you want to like triple threat? I'm like, <laughs> that's like toilet water. Now. I'm like, <laughs> is this like the fountain machine at the Burger King where you just want to like, suicide. yeah, you push all the buttons? Like this is this is not how you drink alcohol, dude. You're gonna die. <laughs> and then for some reason, I ended up drinking it, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I died. <laughs> I got I got really sick. It was a be- it was a terrible day the next day. I believe so, it. So if you're looking for something that's not a drink, tea and Captain Morgan's and and beer. And beer. <laughs> that's not a drink, people. Like when they say drink responsibly, they also, mean it. They mean it. Drink there's, responsibly. There's Drano and Clorox in the bathroom if you need something a little with a little heavier kick. All right, guys. If you want to see pictures and video of the weekend, you can find us on Scrubland Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to email us with your random ideas and viewer requests or listener requests and etc., uh, that's scrublandpodcast at gmail dot com. And that'll about do us for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next week. Peace. Bye, guys.